You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. And I'm your host, Jim Friend. Well, today we are continuing our podcast series on increasing generosity and talking about the different ways in which Catholic organizations around the country are increasing uh, donations, increasing gifts, and engaging their donors in a variety of ways. And today with us, we have two of Changing Our World's finest consultants here. We have Joe Jennings, director here at Changing Our World, and Sean Trahan, senior managing director at Changing Our World. Welcome, Sean. Welcome, Joe. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Sean, tell us how your summer was. <laughs> My summer was fine. It actually just all blended with the uh, spring, so I'm not sure if it was a real summer. Yeah. But, of course, due to covid um, had an opportunity to spend more time um, at home, take care of some things here, which I normally would not have an opportunity to do, you know, being on the road um, all week long. So as I was uh, sharing with one of my colleagues earlier, I think this has probably been the longest I've been home um, in my 20 plus years uh, as a fundraising uh, consultant. So it's been good. So it's been a lot of time uh, working out and doing things around the house and just with uh, family. So it's been good. And Sean, you're located out in the Houston, Texas area? I am, where it's extremely hot, but not so bad uh, for the last couple of days in, in the 90s and a little less humidity. So it's it's great the last few days. Great, great. And Joe, you're being from uh, Long Island, New York. Uh, how do the how do the low 90s sound to you? Does that sound moderate or? Sounds a little hot right Sounds now. a little hot. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I guess it's all relative, right? Right? You're, That's right. It's, it's a beautiful 75 here in the uh, the Allentown area. What's uh, what's the weather like out in Long Island, Joe? Long Island, check the Apple Watch. We got 76 degrees. Right 76. Now. Nice. Excellent. So oh. pretty much the same. How was your summer, Joe? It was a challenge. You know, um, You know, we're, I live in Long Island, which was the epicenter of the COVID outbreak, and uh it was really scary those first couple of months, but uh, we've adapted. Um, you know, I have a son that was a is a he was a freshman at Northeastern University at the time, so his whole year got turned upside down, and he came home. So we had a good summer having our son home. We only have the one child, but uh, we had to find the the balance between being a good parent and letting him be independent. Yeah, um, and it, it all worked out, and uh, thank goodness he's a real good kid, and it was great to have him around, uh, you know, help with some things uh, during COVID. Yeah, a couple of days doing shopping and things like that. Yeah, we have uh, we had a freshman last year as well, and uh, it was an interesting uh, adjustment having them home, moving from high school to college, and uh, in that independence that they're looking for, and you want to provide that at the same time you're still at home, and yeah, it's an interesting balance. Did either of you guys get away at all this summer? I did not. No, pretty much. A, did you take a staycation? We did a staycation. I talked about that last week. Did you guys get away, at least have a little time at home? We did some, uh, you know, just some local things, some local parks and things yeah. like that. You know, just, just to get out and get some fresh air, things, sure. things like that. But we, we really put all vacation plans on hold, you know, maybe next year. We'll maybe see. next year, yeah. How about you, Sean? Yeah, same here. Vacation plans are on hold, and, and hopefully 2021 will 
bring better uh, opportunities for a rural vacation. But yeah, I just took one week off and um, just really had an opportunity just to kind of relax and do a couple of things around Houston. So I enjoyed my time off. That's great. So Sean, um, living in the Texas area, so Joe and I are in the East Coast here. You're you're in the Midwest. Um, we're familiar with changing leaves and, you know, different change of the season. Do you get much of a season change where you live out in the Houston area? Not at all. Not so at all. You're, yeah. <laughs> you have hot, not as hot, and then, of course, we have fall. We don't have a real winter. Okay. So the trees don't really turn. They just fall off. <laughs> um, yeah, they just kind of fall, and then you, you're you left breaking that up, and then all of a sudden they just kind of reappear. So we don't have the, the changing of the leaves, unfortunately. But I remember when I first started traveling years ago, just kind of driving through Ohio was actually one of my first assignments and it was in the fall. And I remember driving down the highway seeing, you know, the, the orange and green leaves. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's beautiful. Because of course our vacations growing up were only in the summer. And so, you know, didn't really have an opportunity to, to see much of that or any of that. And so it wasn't until you know my uh, adult years that I had an opportunity to see that and thought it was absolutely beautiful. Well, we're in the same boat, Sean. Actually, I was born out in Phoenix, Arizona. And then when I was a kid, we moved out to Central Florida. So I went from hot to humid, but never really experienced the season. <laughs> we never really saw, I, I never saw snow falling until my mid-20s when I moved to Pennsylvania with my uh, with my new bride at the time. It's been uh, It's been an interesting experience. So let's go ahead and turn our conversation to our topic today, increasing generosity. This week, uh, we're talking about parish capital campaigns. And Joe and Sean, you both uh, worked on a campaign out in Long Island, uh, St. Joseph the Worker. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that project, Sean? Give us, uh, give us the lay of the land. Sure. St. Joseph the Worker, located within the Diocese of Rockville Center, um, but uh, located in the actual city of East Patchog. Small parish, about 1,400 families. We went out to meet with Father as part of the um, Catholic Community Foundation of Long Island, which is a newly established foundation, um, to address or provide funding for various uh, ministries, our Catholic ministries on Long Island. And they were conducting a planning study to get one's thoughts and perceptions about the proposed plans to provide funding uh, for the various ministries uh, by conducting a capital campaign. And we met with Father, at which time Father was uh, supportive of the foundation's plans and also shared with us that um, at their parish, they have some urgent needs, one, to build a handicap accessible ramp and then also address some deferred maintenance, I guess, for the lack of a better word, and, and complete some capital projects. And he stated that this handicap accessible ramp has been a conversation at the parish for really about 12 plus years. And we're really never able to get it off the ground. And so it wasn't until that time when the parish was actually able, with our assistance and, of course, the foundation's assistance, to launch that campaign with a, a minimum goal of 200000 So that was their initial goal to really construct the ramp. And then a challenge goal of 300000 to address the secondary projects. For example, you know, various capital projects, um, not only to the rectory, but also within the parish hall, as well as the, the, the church itself. We launched that campaign in January of 2020. Uh, by working closely with Father and a handful of volunteers. We started, of course, with material development, uh, refining the case, recruiting a, a number of volunteers to begin soliciting families. 
And just as we were getting ready to start soliciting the top supporters of the parish, COVID descended upon uh, the country and things started to, to change a little bit. Uh, with, with Father's assistance, uh, and that's, that's Father Martin Curtin, with his assistance and, and guidance and really overall support of the parish itself, and of course the, the campaign, and then the volunteers' willingness and dedication to move this campaign forward, we were successful in, in, in really increasing generosity within the parish. I think it's going to have a long-term impact on the overall contributions of the parish. Parishioners were extremely supportive pre-COVID, throughout COVID, and we concluded their campaign at the end of August. And I'm pleased to report that contributions are still coming in, of course, making a case that more dollars raised will allow us to address more of the needs that's outlined in that case for support. And so to date, the parish has raised approximately 322000 of their challenge goal of $300,000. And that's only from about 150 families. So almost about just shy of 10% of their families were able to contribute to this effort. So Sean, let's go back to when uh, when all of this began back in March. Things are closing down. We're going into quarantine. Uh, a lot of us, all of us, I think we're uh, wondering what comes next and how next to proceed with our campaigns. What was the uh, what was the the feeling in the in the parish? How was Father Martin feeling around that time where um, where we were all kind of in that non situation that we'd never been in before? What what do we do now? What were some of the conversations that took place? Sure. So I remember it like it was just yesterday. It was Monday, March 16th, and um, we received direction from the diocese for all parishes to close. And um, we would typically meet with the volunteers on Monday evening. So Father Martin and, and the volunteers and I would would gather at the parish. But of course, that meeting was held um, by phone. And we spoke with everyone. Of course, everyone was in shock and they felt the need that the parish campaign could not go on because it was the unknown. Not sure when things would get back to normal, uh, but I think everyone sort of had in the back of their mind that it would probably only be maybe a couple of weeks. And so let's put this thing on pause until we can get through the next few weeks, and then we can all come back stronger than ever, and we'll be ready to start moving forward all over again. Sure. And so a month passed. It was then April 16th. And um, there was no end in sight. And then a couple of weeks went by. And again, there was no end in sight. However, during that time, we continued to meet by phone. The volunteers and Father Martin and I would get on the phone every Monday evening at 7 o'clock just to kind of really be there in support of each other. Um, At this point, there was no solicitation activity that was taking place. Um, but really, it was we all needed to just kind of hear each other's voice and really just kind of start to plan for what was next. Um, and so we devised a, a, a timeline. We, we modified the existing timeline with um, hopeful dates of when we could relaunch the campaign again, but no real direction from the diocese in terms of when the parish would be able to reopen. And so we were looking at dates possibly toward the latter part of May. And then, of course, that timeline was pushed back into June. Again, still no real solicitation activity taking place. And then by then, we realized, hey, we're really going to have to 
look at other options here and, and devise not only our timeline, but also our solicitation plan, because uh, we, we would like to wrap up this campaign uh, no later than the first part of fall. Because, you know, not just because the, the parish didn't want it to go on forever, but they wanted to really move forward with the construction of the ramp. As a result, we convened on one Monday evening and spoke with Father really about conducting virtual solicitations. And Father could not have been more candid by sharing some of his concerns um, in that how it may appear insensitive, being that, as, as Joe stated earlier, uh, New York being the epicenter, you know, are some parishioners or will some parishioners be put off by um, being solicited during this time? Or will they jump on board? And of course, not knowing the answer to that in terms of how their parishioners would act, would react to Father's um, outreach to them. Father was willing to begin calling several parishioners. He thought phone calls would work best as opposed to um, an electronic source, um, you know, Zoom or WebEx. And so he began calling families, those that he had a very close relationship with, and really just um, made it more of a, a welfare check, seeing how they're doing, how they're coping, uh, giving him an update on the parish in terms of um, the office closure, um, update on mass, encouraging them to um, live stream the masses, and then really went on to, to provide them with an update on the overall campaign, sharing that they were aware that the campaign was announced in early January. He provided uh, an update in terms of initial gifts secured, which were primarily from the volunteers, but there was an enormous amount of support that um, had been conveyed in the early days. And that during this time, uh, Father still felt that, of course, the, the, the ramp and the other identified projects were, were uh, very important to the parish. And of course, be even more relevant post-COVID. And he stated that he would like to have a, a conversation with the family um, in the coming days. And leading up to that, if setting a date in which uh, the family knew that father would drop that package off. So really, you know, non-contact uh, visit. And so father sure, was able to sure. drop that packet off um, once the family agreed. And then they had a, a, a phone call scheduled. And the father conveyed the case, asked them for a, a sacrificial gift, reiterated the amount that was in the letter, and asked the family to pray and consider the gift request. And uh, these were from the top prospects. And of those 80-plus uh, top donors that were identified for the campaign, we received about 70 to 80% of their support. Um, of the handicap ramp as well as the capital project. So father did a phenomenal job. He, again, was a little hesitant about it may possibly be viewed as insensitive. But after father did a couple of visits, I, I see a couple, but probably about five to 10 visits, the volunteers jumped on board. It was intentional that we did not enlist the support of the volunteers by conducting these virtual visits uh, initially because we wanted to sort of do a test. And we thought, father would be the best person to uh, test the success of this. And after the volunteers um, identified that father was having um, a great success and that people were open, then they jumped on board. They jumped on board by reaching out to families, conducting welfare checks, just as father did, delivering their packets to them, and then scheduling a follow-up visit by phone. And in some cases, the volunteers even held it um, electronically. So overall, just to, you know, devising the plan was really key. And parishioners, of course, recognizing that uh, the initiative must continue 
and that it was a, a very viable uh, initiative for, for the parish to move forward in the future. So that must have been then infectious then for the parishioners to um, hear of Father Martin's success, and um, and then they they jumped on board as well. And did they did they also use uh, Zoom or video conferencing, or did they primarily use the phone for these solicitations and wellness checks? Um, Father used all phone contact to conduct his visits. Several of the volunteers who were. Uh, proficient and comfortable using, um, you know, Zoom video conferencing type calls. They did in some cases, but really it depended on not only just the comfort level of the volunteer, but the comfort level of those that they were soliciting as well. Joe, uh, you worked on the, let me pull you into this conversation a little bit. You worked on the data and, and you've been working on the pledge redemption. What was the, what was the data management piece like for, for this parish project? Sure. Uh, Yeah, Jim, a lot of times I'll work on a campaign when we're having trouble, you know, getting all the data together. You know, many times it's all in one nice little neat bundle. That wasn't the case, you know, here. We had uh, several different sources where we had to pull in some uh, contribution information, parishioner information. So this... uh, this data here was a little bit of a challenge. Um, I bet we were able to sew together about three different pieces and come up with the database. And then we spent a good amount of time, uh, myself and another colleague, kind of going through and trying to fix up the data. The data wasn't in the, the best shape, you know. Um, I'm a big proponent of before we do our first mailing, I want to have everything just right. That may be our only contact with these folks. So, sure. again, I want to make sure if we, you know, we have the updates of uh, spouses that may have passed away and things like that. So, again, yeah, you know, maybe these folks may not have heard from St. Joseph's in five years and all of a sudden they get a mailing with, you know, a, a wrong ad- uh, addressee on there. And it's just not a good way to start. You know, this campaign, I'll just, you know, chip in. I, I don't know of one I've worked on in the last 25 years that had more challenges Mm. um, between, you know, essentially uh, really COVID was the big challenge, but uh, many kudos to Sean who did, you know, what a a campaign director has to do. You have to maximize your resources to get the best results. And uh, Sean did a masterful job of, uh, you know, sending the volunteers to the right people at the right time. And, And that's how that success, you know, really came with the campaign. You know, right now, what we're doing is we're, we're helping them with the pledge redemption. Um, right now, the staff is a little bit challenged. So right now, we're helping them get out all the, the billing statements for the monthly, quarterly, and annual statements. And we'll help them at the end of the year. But uh, again, that's something our clients uh, at CW, if, uh, if they choose to, we're always willing to help them with pledge redemption. And that's a service that uh, it's been very successful through the years. We have about a 95% uh, redemption rate. So again... Uh, we're happy to help St. Joe's with that right now as well. That's great. That's great. So question, I guess, to both of you, once COVID started, you provided service all virtually. And and Joe, most of your service is usually provided virtually anyway. But um, Sean, what was that like? Uh, I know that typically with CW, we do provide a certain amount of time on site. And that's something that's just been part of our, our way of doing things from the beginning. But now we're all working differently, uh, myself included, and all of our consultants are working remotely. How was that? You know, what kind of uh, adjustments did you find that you need to make to direct a campaign uh, from Texas? You know, that's located in New York. Tell us a little bit about that. So, Jim, and then Joe, certainly, as you know, 
Changing Our World prides itself on uh, providing on-site um, direct hands-on service, of course, but even when we're not present um, at our client site, uh, the work continues um, as it relates to the Changing Our World director. And so sure. um, it was a little bit of an adjustment, but not as much. Um, I think we were probably more concerned really about the client because they were so accustomed to us being there. And um, we did not, of course, uh, want them to feel as though uh, we were not uh, present with them um, in spirit. So that said, we we quickly jumped and moved our face-to-face meetings, obviously, to weekly calls. And then we made sure that we had a touch point with Father in addition to that weekly call with the volunteers. And then, of course, frequent email communication uh, continued throughout the week. It was not so much an adjustment for uh, me as a Changing Our World director because, again, when I'm not on site, I'm still working for the client. But my biggest concern was really how the client would, would perceive it. They obviously recognized all the challenges because we weren't the only ones that were facing it. And they, they recognized that we were willing to do what we needed to do to, to continue to stay in touch and to move that campaign forward in the best way we can. And so all volunteers really just jumped in. You know, when, once we devised a timeline and were able to get things up and running again, all just kind of pitched in for some of the things that we're used to being present for, such as those NPU solicitations, really just a lot of hand-holding there, making sure that we have ample volunteers to distribute the cards and just really providing that face-to-face coaching with Father because NPU solicitations can be a little time-consuming, a little tedious. And we want to make sure that, you know, usually there's about a month lead into that in terms of training and material preparation of course, just really not being on site, that created a little bit of a challenge, but all volunteers really just kind of jumped in. And we even enlisted the support of Knights Columbus oh. uh, because then, of course, when NTU solicitation was held, in-person mass was to help distribute cards. Obviously, the traditional NPU solicitation weekend process had to be modified because there's a lot of touching of cards under the, the traditional um, approach, touching of pencils and pens because those are placed in and the pews. Uh, and of course, all of that had to be really re-evaluated uh, and reimagined uh, so we can make sure that we, we, we uh, comply with CDC guidelines. I'll tell you that one real positive thing that came out of um, the modified plan was instead of picking up the commitment weekend cards, um, you know, from pew to pew, we actually did a processional. One representative from each family was asked to come up to the altar to place their card in the basket. And so we believe that as a result of that, it garnered uh, increased support. It was very well received, not only in my initial conversation with Father, but also welcomed by the volunteers and uh, well received by those in the pews. It's wonderful. Did uh, did the parish move to online masses, uh, Sean, during uh, during COVID nineteen? Are they st- are they still offering that? They did move to online masses, and they are still live streaming those masses. However, they are able to conduct in person masses. And in in the diocese that you live in in Houston, mass is still taking place in person, or are uh, what is uh, church life look like there? They are having mass inside. The, the percentage, I'm not sure what the percentage of capacity is on Long Island, but now they're up to uh, 75% capacity here in terms of in-person masses. Terrific, terrific. 
Joe, anything to add? I know you're, you're, you mentioned you're doing the, the pledge redemption for them and continuing to provide service virtually. And that's really a lot of your role, right? I mean, a lot of the work that you do with our parishes is not necessarily behind the scene, but virtually and remotely, correct? Yeah, a lot of times, Jim. Um, like I said, uh, many times a parish, uh, sometimes the data conversion will go real smooth. It's just pulling one file and, and setting it up. But a lot of times... I'll get called in when there's a problem or something. And, you know, I've been doing this for uh, more than 25 years now. So, I mean, I go back to the days when uh, the old parishes used to keep their uh, collections on the old five by seven index card. So I mean, <laughs> that's that's where I started. Yeah. You know? and, and, you know, now, you know, most parishes have real robust databases that, uh, you know, a few, few clicks here and there, you can export and, and get what you want. Still, you know, we'll run into a parish where, you know, somebody 10 years ago might have set up a database and they've been doing using it for 10 years and now they don't know how to get the data out of it. So, you know, that's kind of one of the things I'll get called into. But yeah, I mean, for for years, um, you know, I've been able to, uh, you know, keep communications going, you know, email. And, and now that Zoom is really blown up, I mean, that's it's just the way that uh, things are done. And uh, as a company, you know, we use Microsoft Teams all the time. And, and it's just, it's been fantastic for us. We can still have collaboration, you know, with, you know, nice groups of five and six people right over the right over the uh, Internet right now. And that's been working out OK for us. But, uh, yeah, the, the the work from home thing for me, it was uh, it was a little bit of an adjustment, but, it, but it's something that I kind of had been doing for a while. So, well, that's great. Well, Joe and Sean, it was great to have you on the show today. Congratulations. Uh, and to all the parishioners at St. Joseph the Worker and out in Long Island on on the great campaign. It, it just goes to show that when the needs are present, that people will respond, uh, even in this climate. And clearly, the needs that were presented at St. Joe's were clear uh, and presented well, and something a case for support that the parishioners could get behind. Am I correct? That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, real, real tangible projects. And as, as Sean said, they were thinking about this handicap ramp for quite a while. Yeah. And- well, great job, guys. Well, that's, uh, that's going to wrap up our, our session today. Again, uh, Joe and Sean, thanks for being on the show, and we'll look forward to having you on again soon. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim. I want to thank Sean Trahan and Joe Jennings for being on our show this week. Once again, thanks for all you do to advance the mission of our church. Congratulations to St. Joseph the Worker Parish out on Long Island. Congratulations to Father Martin for having the courage, really, to move forward with a campaign. In the spring, none of us knew what was happening from one week to the next. And so to move forward with a campaign in any environment always takes courage and leadership, and especially so in in this environment. And I'm sure that uh, when that new handicap ramp is built, all of this will be worth it, and uh, that dream will become realized, and it will benefit generations of parishioners to come. If you'd like more information about this project or just moving your own fundraising project forward in this climate, uh, we'd love to talk with you. Visit, send me an email at jfriend at changingourworld.com, or you can give me a call. My phone number is on the website. You can find more information about all of our projects at Changing Our World at changingourworld.com. For more information about our podcast, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com, and you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Again, Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, and we are a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for the past 20 years. 
And please visit us for more information at changingourworld.com. Thanks, everyone, for all you do to advance the mission of our church. We'll have another episode of Increasing Generosity on the Advancing Our Church podcast next week. Have a great week, everybody. Be well. God bless.